Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Welcome to Women on the Line, a national women's current affairs program produced at 3CR Community Radio in Melbourne and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. I'm your host, Anya Saravanan. Women on the Line acknowledges this program is produced and presented on the sovereign lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We acknowledge elders past, present and becoming, as well as the owners of the land you're hearing us from. Today on Women on the Line, you will be hearing from Franco Stevens and Jen Rainin about their wonderful new documentary, Ahead of the Curve. This film was part of the recent Queer Screen Film Fest 2020. Hi, I'm Franco Stevens. I'm the founder of Curve Magazine and the subject of the new documentary, Ahead of the Curve. And I'm Jen Rainin. I'm the director of that documentary. <laughs> How did you meet? What is, what's your story? Yeah, uh, it's a great story. I'll cut to the chase because Jen likes to tell the long version I of the do, story. I we met it. at a Curve holiday party. We did. Yeah. Jen was running a um, lesbian travel business and was uh, brought in by a business partner to meet me because they were planning on advertising. Oh and <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yes. And I knew it was something special right away but I didn't really understand what it was. I couldn't make sentences come out of my mouth that made any sense. And she's pretty articulate. So that was usually, I, yeah. I didn't, I did not know. Yeah. Well, it worked out in the end. You know how they, how women used to meet each other. If it wasn't in the bars, they would send in a personal uh, ad to curve magazine. They would mail it in because this was before the internet. They would mail it in and three months later, the ad would appear in curve magazine <laughs> And then they would respond, which might take took might have taken another month. We get those letters in our office, and then turn around twice a month and send it to the recipient. So maybe in five months you could have met the perfect match instead of five minutes, which which is you know <laughs> the norm today. So things right. were very different back in uh, in the good old days. Well, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me about the magazine first. What is Curve about? Well, Curve is um, a lesbian magazine, and it's sort of uh, the largest lesbian magazine in the world. Curve's actually started as the move in 1991, and uh, it was primarily a U.S.-based magazine. When it switched to Curve in 1996 because of a trademark dispute, it had already started to become an international magazine. So you know, so many different uh, countries and women across the world uh, would be reading the magazine, what is now 30 years later. The magazine is actually owned by a publisher in Sydney. Yeah, I recently found out about the connection to Lottel as well, Lesbians on the Loose. Yeah. That's great. That's really nice to know that there's that connection. And tell me about the film. What inspired the film? Well, this extraordinary woman I married who kept telling me these really rather extraordinary stories frankly in the early years of our marriage she would 
you know, I knew when, when we met that she, I knew about the magazine, I, she was still um, involved and I, but I didn't really know the backstory. I didn't know all the stories around how it got started. And as she was, would fill in that picture for me, I would, I, you know, I just started realizing, wow, this is, this is rather a fantastic story. She would say things like, well, I was 22 years old when I started the magazine. I didn't have any money and no banks would give me any loans. So I uh, took out 12 credit cards in one day and I, I cashed them all out and went to the racetrack and bet on the horses and won enough money to fund the first three issues of the magazine. And I, that's, you know, one of a hundred stories that she told me that I thought, okay, this needs to be, this is just a great story. It needs to be a fiction film. I need to write the screenplay for this. Mm. So I started writing the screenplay for the fiction film and doing my research. And in talking with a lot of the women um, who helped Frank start the magazine, I started to really realize how, how important this story was uh, for our community to know. And I, you know, doing more research, discovered how few documentaries there are, how, how poorly documented queer women's history is. And so I started to feel a responsibility to tell this as a nonfiction film. And that's really where ahead of the curve came from. <laughs> I really like that bit in that film about, you know, the, the maxing out the seven credit cards or whatever it is. There was a real sense of, I have nothing to lose. Therefore, I'm just going to do yeah. everything I can. And it almost felt very reflective of the, I guess, the political identity of lesbians at that time as well. I really agree with that. Like only, you know, a year or two before that, I was homeless and living in my car. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So I didn't have, I knew where, I knew where almost rock bottom was. And if I went back there, it was worth the risk. Mm. The one thing I noticed in the movie, the movie showed the amazing diversity in your magazine, women of all sizes, shapes, colors, people with different gender identities, issues anywhere from religion to parenting to fashion, anything and everything under the sun. And at a time when you know, sort of mainstream organizations are struggling with this diversity issue. Was that sort of diversity a conscious decision or did it just happen? You know, I think it was a little bit of both, but it was very, you know, as we progressed, it was very intentional. And I wish we were even more diverse than we, we were. Sometimes it was harder to find the marginalized voices, but the most important, in my opinion. Mm. And also the film showed how the community rallied around you right from the beginning when you started the magazine to, you know, when you had the legal troubles and they obviously felt very strongly about this magazine existing. But how was that in terms of the pressure on you? Did it feel like if something went wrong, you'd be letting down not just yourself, but, you know, an entire community? How did you deal with that? You know, sometimes it was so stressful. Like when I went through the lawsuit, I was literally, my hair was falling out. Um, I felt such a responsibility to the community to make the magazine uh, viable. I would pretty much have done, you know, if somebody would have been like, well, you want to sell your kidney for, you know, printing money for the next issue. I would have actually considered it. I don't know that I would have done it, but <laughs> at least my wife wouldn't let me do it. <laughs> I guess that was, a, that was not the best example, but you know, it just, it, it gets to the idea of, I felt so strongly about about the work that we were there to do and I wasn't going to let anything stop me. Mm. And when I became disabled, which is part of the, the movie and was no longer 
able to run the magazine in the in the capacity that I that was deserved I needed the next I needed somebody to come along that was a perfect fit and Silka who owned uh, Laudel at the time was like a dream come true it's like oh she's already dedicated to the community and she already knows how to produce a magazine and though other companies had expressed interest over the years I wasn't ready and I wasn't also comfortable with it going into hands of somebody I didn't feel completely confident with. And it almost also talks about the scarcity of that sort of material out there that you felt, you know, so protective that this one magazine had to go to the right person because there just wasn't much to choose from. You know, first the gay community was very like, people didn't talk about the gay community and they definitely didn't talk about the women of the gay community. You know, women are always underrepresented. And, you know, it's something that I've fought for for so long. And I think now it's really important that not only the voices of self-identified lesbians get heard, but also the other women in the community and gender non-conforming folks and trans folks that consider themselves part of that community are representative because where they are now is just like, they're so vulnerable, especially the women of color, that we need to amplify their voices right now because it's such a crucial time. Mm. Yeah, and I would, I'd love to just jump on that. I mean, that it's, no one's going to roll out the red carpet and ask us and invite us to, would you please tell your stories? We need to follow, frankly, the example that Franco and the women who made Curve have uh, set for us. We want this. We need to tell our own stories. We need to step up. All of us. Yeah, it's hard to tell, you know, it's, it's great to tell your own stories, but it, let's, you know, let's face it, it's not, it's not easy. It's not free. No. It's not cheap. Luckily, now we have the power of the internet where we can blog and do that kind of stuff. Because when I started the magazine, there wasn't any of that. I mean, really getting the voices of the women out, you know, is curve or barely nothing. So, mm, yeah. Let's talk more about the word lesbian. How do you think, even has, how do you think the word lesbian has evolved in your time? Wow, really interesting. Like when I first started the magazine, putting the word lesbian on the front cover was so controversial. Ooh, you're going to use the L word. Like people won't go to the newsstand and they won't pick it up because every time they did, it was coming out for them. And then it became more like, okay, I'm embracing the term. And then lesbian became a term that was associated with trans radical um, TERFs, trans exclusionary, exclusionary radical feminists, <laughs> sorry. Um, and it was seen as a negative. In my mind, it was nev never a negative. And I think now women are starting to re-embrace the term, like just like we've, you know, taken queer back, hopefully we'll be taking lesbian back. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it's, a, it's, it's part of our history to use that term. But I'm all about anyone identifying, self-identifying as they see fit. Mm -hmm. Like I'm not policing your, you know, your right. terms, your roles, your gender, your mm -hmm. identity. I'm all about freedom, freedom of expression. Mm. 
the film explicitly shows that though it shows that you franco you were always accepting of you know trans people and people's gender identities however they chose to identify and obviously there's this perception right or wrong that older lesbians somehow are less accepting of these sorts of different gender identities is that real is that true or what is your perception of that that is a great question you know my perception of that is narrow-minded people are scared i have friends that identify as lesbian and are you know think that the trans community is not part of their community that's not how i believe i believe that we keep adding all these acronyms you know these letters onto the qaii plus and the more people we have the more power we have the more people who can either identify with us or you know feel a kinship with us the more power we're going to have so for me, it's a plus. You know, I just want to make sure that the people that identify as women do not get excluded from the conversation. Absolutely. And allowing additional people in is not going to overshadow our voices. That's right. Absolutely. I was talking to a friend the other day who was bemoaning the fact that lesbian spaces are pretty much non-existent at the moment. Maybe it's a natural progression of people embracing the term queer and becoming more open to different sort of identities. But, you know, th that was a safe haven for them. And now it feels like the number of safe spaces they can go into has decreased drastically. Is that your experience? That is my experience. It's like, you know, there's probably like seven lesbian bars left in the, all of the United States. Mm. Um, lesbian spaces are disappearing. Lesbian magazines are disappearing. Mm. Lesbian media is disappearing. Something needs to change. I haven't figured out the, the solution to that problem, but I do know that if our community doesn't support those bars those you know safe spaces that they're not going to exist because it's you know it's not enough to be there when you want it you need to support those businesses so that they can stay alive and thrive on the times where you're not looking for a girlfriend or you're not having a political crisis or mm. you know or that kind of thing i mean those spaces just they have to be utilized they have to be funded to stick around it just doesn't happen. It's not a miracle. It's not a, you know, it's, it's a business. Most of those things are businesses. Women's on the line. <laughs> oh, that was women on the line. Women on the line. <laughs> <laughs>
for lesbians anywhere. She decided I'm going to make one. That's total rock and roll. I love my job. I love my job. I love my job. <laughs> Whoever was in Curve, like, that was it. That's how you knew what was going on. Like the ladies' musicians, in terms of, like, the ladies' like, artists. Yeah. I think it's only in hindsight that I can fully appreciate what Franco had to sacrifice. It was very hard to be out and open in the late 80s. I think we should do away with gays if possible. A lot of people lived in fear. Once I had a guy spit in my face. We did not see ourselves represented in any positive mainstream way. There was nothing that showed what my life was all about. I was the one that was supposed to start this magazine. She got the idea and then she's just like, oh my God, I need money. So I just applied for a bunch of credit cards all on the same day. <laughs> I just cashed them all in. And there they come. I'm going to bet an exacta with two long shots. And my horses came in first and second. At the end of the day, I had enough money to start the magazine. Do you know what the difference is between parsley and What, Franco? I don't know. I don't eat parsley. Where can I find a when the magazine put me on the cover, it allowed women in our own community to see a well-spoken, funny, intelligent, charming, gentlemanly butch, which is basically who I am, unless you cross my path. For the first time, we could see black and lesbians, Asian, working class women. Just the power of seeing me. In the last 24 hours, you know, I heard this thing that I never wanted to hear, that the magazine could be coming to an end. As we became more visible, we also became a target. We live in a systemic, racist, sexist, anti-LGBTQ world, and we have to fight it every day. Dear straight people, why do I have to prove my love is authentic? Visibility looks like us being able to be the authors of our own experience. When there is so much at stake, our positive stories are some of the most powerful tools we have. Every time we put out a magazine, it felt groundbreaking. Like the work was so important and the work is not done. Jen, I want to talk to you about this film, how did you feel making this film about, you know, something so personal and someone so, so mm -hmm. personal to you? How did that process feel like? You know, I've, I've been inspired by Franco on a daily basis since I met her and the passion that she feels for the, the lesbian and queer women's community has infected me. <laughs> and mm -hmm. so I think, you know, for me telling this story, it is very personal and it feels, it feels like a mission. Like it's, it just feels really like an important feel. I feel called to do it, to bring this story out into the community, out into the world so that really so that younger women can see a role model so that we can all see a role model, someone who had a need and in meeting her own need, she met the needs of the entire community. What she did was extraordinary, but it is something that we could, we could be inspired by. We could be inspired to act. You know, what I want people to get from the movie really is that one single 
person, although I did not do it, do Curve Magazine alone, I owe it to so many people, is that one person can make a difference. And that if somebody is not producing the content or the medium that you want to take things to the next level, mm -hmm. sometimes you just got to take a chance and do it yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hey, if you want a lesbian uh, space, uh, you know, make your own. Mm. Go make your own. Like Jolene did in San Francisco. It's fantastic what she's done there. Mm. The subject matter is obviously very inspiring and beautiful, but it was also a lot of fun. You know, the, the way it was shot, all the images of the, the bars and the parties. And now that I'm stuck at home, we've been stuck at home for seven months now. It almost felt like being at the yeah. club back again. So that was really, really well done. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, you know, the thing that I can't stand the most about, you know, the, the implications of COVID, of course, the death is the number one. But yeah. The, th the thing that really gets me is that I can't be there in, in Sydney at the, at the film festival yeah. and, you know, having to do everything remotely is, you know, you work on a project for several years and you anticipate the time where, it, you know, you're going to open in the theater and, and it just turns out very differently. So mm. we realize that it's a change, but we're, you know, like everyone is trying to roll with the punches and, um, but if you're watching this film and you feel transported into that time in the 90s where, you know, the women were in the clubs and, and it was so juicy and delicious, then great. We did our job. <laughs> Live in that time <laughs> well, right I'm now. I'm even going back to Last Pride and having us yeah. in San Francisco at the Dyke Mart surrounded by like, you know, 200,000 queer women. It's like, whoa, that was just like really powerful. A few months ago. How's yeah. that possible? Yeah. Yeah. That was just last summer. Wow. If listeners do want access to the film after the festival, where do they find it? Well, we are uh, ramping up toward a, a wide, a worldwide release. Um, we expect likely in March or April. Uh, so if you will, if you are interested in the film, you, you, want, it, you want your friends to see it, um, you can follow us at Curve Mag Movie, Curve, M-A-G-M-O-V-I-E dot com and uh sign up for the mailing list we don't send out anything <laughs> except hey here's where you can see the film yeah you could also go on the you know the facebook or the twitter or That's the you know, sites for curve mag movie mm -hmm. all all of our handles are at curve mag movie <laughs> one thing that became evident through the making of this movie is that um the work isn't done and trying to figure out how we can take the momentum that Curve has created over the last 30 years and use it to propel forward. So what we're doing is we're creating the Curve Foundation. Mm. And part of what the Curve Foundation will do will be to help the women in our community tell our stories, uh, just as Curve has been doing for the last, you know, 30 years. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it like I said, it takes money to do that kind of stuff so we're going to actually be putting our money behind mm -hmm. uh the women of the community to you know employ them to to write content and have fellowships we haven't figured out the complete dynamics of it <laughs> but we know what we want to do uh, moving forward and that stick with the original mission of curve that's gorgeous thank you that sounds really exciting and also vital given what's happening in the states and what will happen after november i think so Fingers crossed. Uh, yeah. 
Sorry. <laughs> if they would let us come to Australia, we'd be out of here. <laughs> and that's all for Women on the Line today. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. We welcome your comments or thoughts on today's show, so send us an email to womenontheline at gmail.com. Women on the Line is a national women's current affairs program. It's produced and presented by a range of women and gender non-conforming broadcasters from 3CR in Melbourne and broadcast across Australia and the community radio network with funding support from the Community Broadcasting Foundation. The theme music for Women on the Line is produced by Ripley Cavera. Women on the Line programs can be downloaded from www.3cr.org.au forward slash women on the line. We leave you today with Look at You Go by June Jones. I'm Anya Saravanan and we hope you have an amazing week. Show you what I'm worth and then I'm not just some dirt on the ground. I stand up for myself and you say I look like some bookshelf you found.